stand? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you that we now have a man from among us who is sat on the throne of heaven, that you've sent the Lord Jesus to be our mediator, and that therefore in his name we can come to you as sons and daughters of the King of heaven. And so in his name now we pray for the gift of your spirit to bless the word you've given us. As we read and hear your son speak to us, might these words be life and truth to us. We depend entirely on your spirit. So pour him out again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, please do take a seat. Um, Apologies again, it's basically carnage this morning. Almost everything's gone wrong. Is that one working? Is that working? It'll sound weird, weird, though. Why would it sound weird? Oh, it's just coming out there. Okay, I'll just just shout. I'll just shout, that's fine. That's not going to work, apparently. Um, Could you turn to John chapter 3? John chapter 3. And I'm going to read from verse 16. We're not uh, preaching through John's gospel at the moment. We're doing a series on the Trinity at Christmas. And today we've got to the Father, God the Father. Uh, so I'm going to read from John 3, and we're going to but we'll move around a little bit as we go through. John 3, though, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. For whoever believes in him and is not condemned, sorry, for whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. There's no more famous verse in the Bible. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Now you see it, I guess, particularly in America, held up 316 or John 316 at sporting events. It's a verse that's been printed, no doubt, on more tracts and evangelistic pamphlets than any other. And yet it's a verse, even as Christians, we struggle to believe. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, you wouldn't call yourself a believer, then first of all, you're so, you're so welcome. It's so good to have you uh, among us. And hopefully this, this verse will help you um, see right into the heart of the Christian faith, right into the heart of Christmas indeed. But I guess many of you would call yourselves Christians, you are Christians, and yet still, those first four words are incredibly hard to believe. For God so loved. It is bizarre but true 
that a, a continual battle for most Christians is to genuinely believe deep down in our hearts that God loves us. And I don't think it's going too far to say that one of the main attacks of the enemy, the devil, is trying to convince us that he doesn't. If we're not Christians, he he tries to persuade us that it wouldn't be safe to come to God. God is someone you've got to run away from, hide from. And even once we are Christians, he whispers in our ears that we're not really loved, we're not really safe. And so what I hope this morning is that as we look particularly at the character of the Father, we'll see the depth of his love. That's what we're thinking about this morning, the Father at Christmas. Now children, don't mishear me, not Father Christmas, but the Father at Christmas. We've thought about the Son and the Holy Spirit We've kind of themed this around the missing characters of the nativity. We often speak about the shepherds or the wise men or Mary and Joseph at Christmas. But the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit are the three key players, if you like. And it is the Father that's in focus in John 3.16. I know it says God and ultimately Jesus and the Holy Spirit are God in the same way as God the Father is God. But we know John's referring to the Father here because of how the verse goes on. God so loved that he gave his Son. Obviously the Son doesn't give the Son. It's the Father who gives the Son. (coughs) So what I want to do this morning is think about um, the Father-Son relationship. And then we'll see three ways that it assures us of God's love. Now here's your warning. We're going to do some deep digging and this series has been quite a deep one for us. Lots of thinking. That is a good thing. Okay, we've been given a whole Bible, a whole book to tell us about God. We're transformed by the renewing of our minds. So it's a good thing to think deeply about what God has spoken to us. And, and the first thing, this, this father-son relationship, it, the first topic, I suppose, the first kind of focus of our time is seeing that the father shows himself through his son. The father shows himself through his son. If we get that in place, then seeing how his love is demonstrated should fall fairly naturally into place afterwards. So the father shows himself through his son. Our verse again is, in one sense, pretty simple. God so loved that he gave his only son. Now, in older translations of the Bible, those of you who are used to older translations, you're probably that verse only begotten son it's a bit of a modern thing to to drop the begotten now i'm not going to go into the the whys and wherefores of translations it's not super interesting um greek grammar and all the rest of it but but uh, the word that john uses that if you've got an esv is translated only is a word he uses several times to describe the son Uh, so in john 1 And verse 14, we read that we've seen his glory, glory as of the only, or again, only begotten son. In John 1 verse 18, it comes back, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is it, the Father, Son, he has made him known, the only begotten, again. Uh, It's there in chapter 3 verse 16, as we've just read, and it's there in chapter 3 verse 18. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only or only begotten 
Son of God. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. What does that mean? What does it mean that he's the only begotten Son? It's something we confess sometimes in the Creed. Most weeks at Christchurch will say one of the great church creeds that are shared by Christians across the different denominations. They're not a Presbyterian thing or a Christchurch central thing. They're shared by all different denominations. And they've been said down the centuries, thousands of years now. And in the Nicene Creed, we say this. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. And here's the bit. Begotten from the Father before all ages. God from God, light from light, begotten, is that word again, not made of the same essence as the Father. So so why this emphasis in the creeds and in John, more significantly, on Jesus being the only begotten son? Again, I know it seems like we're kind of stuck in an ivory tower somewhere. But, but this is really significant, as I hope we'll see a bit later. So stay with me. Begotten children normally means born. It's an old-fashioned word for born. So when you read the, the genealogies in the Bible, those lists of names, uh, often it'll be, you know, Joseph begat um, Abraham, who begat, and on, on it might go. Normally, begotten means born. So when we read about Jesus being the only begotten son of the Father... It's telling us that he is from the Father. Now, this is before the incarnation. We're not talking here about Jesus becoming man. We're looking back through the manger, through the stable, back through Christmas to eternity past. The Son is from the Father. Do you hear that in the Creed? Speaking about Jesus, the Son, God from God. Light from from light. In fact, we sing that in O Come All You Faithful. We're going to sing that later. God from God, light. You know, you know the words. God from God, light from light. Jesus, God the Son, receives all that he is from God the Father. If you've got John's Gospels open, John 5 verse 26 is perhaps another key verse. John 5 26, let me read it to you. For as the Father has life in himself, so has he granted the Son also to have life in himself. This is the mystery and the wonder and the beauty of the Trinity. We don't believe in one God who is just like one circle, as it were, one monad as he's sometimes called no we believe in a god who is one and yet three and the son receives all that he is from the father so begotten is beginning to tell us something about who jesus is he is from the father but This is really important. The buts are really important. There are some differences too. I said begotten normally means give birth to. You begat. So I have begotten a son. I've got a little boy called Henry. He is begotten of Jonty. But there are some really significant differences between me 
and my son and the father and Jesus. Very significant differences. The first is begotten doesn't mean made when it comes to the father and the son. Begotten doesn't mean made. It's there in the creed again. Begotten, not made. Children, when you make something, the thing that you make is different from you, isn't it? Again, so I've got children. I say Charlotte is my eldest daughter. In a sense, I made Charlotte. But Charlotte is different from me. I begot her, but she was made. Um, she's like me in some ways, but thankfully not in every way. <laughs> she's like me, but she isn't me. Whereas with the father and the son, the father didn't make the son. He didn't choose one day to have a child. No, eternally, the father and son have been father and son. That's why the creed says they are of the same essence. They are the same being, ultimately. There are not three gods, but one. Again, think of a human father and their child. They are not the same being, are they? They are two people who who share lots of similarities, perhaps, but are not the same being. But with father and son in the Trinity... Because there's only one God, they are the same being, Father and Son. The only thing that distinguishes them is one is Father and one is Son. So begotten doesn't mean made. That's one difference between human parents and human children and God, the Father and Son. That also means that it didn't happen in time. So Charlotte, my eldest, was born in 2013. In 2012... I wasn't a father. There was a time when Charlotte did not exist. And then in 2013, she was born. This 2013, isn't it, Charlotte? Yeah, good. Should have written that in my notes. Um, it's a kind of nightmare question when you go to the doctor and they say, can you tell me the birthday of your children? And you're like, just going to text my wife and get back to you. Um, so there was a before and an after for a human birth, for a human begetting. But not so with the son. He is eternally begotten of the father. Now, I know this is confusing and I know this is deep. But what would you expect when we begin to focus on God himself? What what we're saying, think about it this way. We said earlier that the son receives everything from the father. So all that's true of the father, apart from the fact he's father, is given to the son. One of the things that is true of the Father is that he's all-powerful. He can do whatever he likes. And so the Son can do whatever he likes. One of the things that's true of the Father is he knows everything. Do you know children? God knows absolutely everything. He doesn't ever learn anything. He doesn't grow in knowledge. He's never surprised. He knows everything. Or so the Son knows everything. (coughs) But here's the thing. God the Father is eternal. There was no beginning to God. There'll be no end. There was never a time when God the Father didn't exist. And so when he gives everything that he is to the Son, that includes that attribute, that characteristic of being eternal. 
And so God the Son is eternal as well. In other words, what Scripture leads us to believe is that the Son receives all he is from the Father. He is begotten of the Father. And yet there was never a time when that wasn't true. He is eternally begotten of the Father. Life from the Father, but eternally so. Now, if at this stage you're saying, I don't get this, join the club. And it's not a club just of those of us in the room this morning. It's a club of all Christians throughout history. We can't fathom this. We can believe things that are true because the scriptures tell us them. But ultimately, our little puny, pea-sized human brains are not going to fully understand everything about a being who is so much greater than us. Children, perhaps you've got a pet, a hamster or a gerbil or a rabbit or something. Even the cleverest pet you have doesn't really understand you, does it? Uh, my wife recently found, um, she looked for Christmas presents, and um, you can get things nowadays for, for, for dogs, or for people who have dogs. And my, my father-in-law's got a dog. And um, you can get these mats uh, where the, the dog learns to press a button on the mat and therefore kind of talks to you. We're, we're not getting it, uh, but anyway. <laughs> hey, to a degree, you can train a dog to, to, to say a few things to you, it seems. <coughs> know the dog never fully understands you okay, you come home from work you've had a rough day you've spit up with your boyfriend you, you you can talk to your dog but you know the dog doesn't really get it because you've got a little dog mind and you as a human being are far greater well the gap between you and your dog children to be honest the gap between you and your gerbil or your hamster his little hamster brain is tiny compared to the gap between you and god so we mustn't think because I don't understand this, it can't be true. Again, perhaps if you're new to Christianity, you're thinking, well, why, why would I believe something that I, I, I don't understand? The problem with that way of thinking is, you are saying, I will never, ever believe something greater than me. And that means you'll never actually look at Christianity because you've already ruled offside the idea that there could be a God. Because by definition, of course, he's greater than you. If you will only believe things that you understand, you are saying at the beginning of your search for God, I am going to be an atheist. At the end of the day, frankly, there's lots in this world we don't understand, isn't there? It's no surprise that God is so much greater than us. Uh, Sometimes parents say, well, are there any good illustrations of the Trinity that you could give so so we can explain it to our children? And honestly, I think the answer is no, (laughs) not really. There's nothing like God. If we were to focus just on this idea of the Son having life from the Father, though, that there is a little illustration that kind of half works, enough that it gets into the creed and therefore into a come all ye faithful. Do you hear the the second line? God from God, light from light. It's rough, it's not perfect by any means, but the light that comes from a light, as in the light that radiates out and the source of the light itself. They, they are they're sort of distinguishable in your mind, sort of, but ultimately not really. God from God, light from light. The sun is 
from the Father, but not after the Father. He's eternally from the Father. So much so, in fact, that, that in the early church, they would often talk about the two nativities. Children, I wonder if you've been to a nativity this year, maybe at, at school or preschool or the like. A nativity we think of as the stable, don't we, with the wise men and, and the shepherds. And nativity just means birth. And, of course, Jesus, as man, was born about 2,000 years ago in that, well, probably a spare room, actually, more than a stable. The Bible doesn't really talk about a stable, but anyway. But the early church would talk about two nativities, the birth of Jesus according to his human nature 2,000 or so years ago but also his eternal begetting from the Father in eternity past and that's why it's particularly fitting that it's God the Son who comes to earth he has always been Son Son isn't something true of Jesus only when he's born of Mary it is his eternal identity he's always been the Son of the Father So it's fitting that he should also be the one who is born of Mary, in a way that it wouldn't really be fitting for the father to become the one born of Mary. Now look, that is all, I realise that is is heavy and deep and in some ways confusing. I hope at least it's given you a little glimpse through the, the curtains, as it were, into the relationship eternally between father and son. But what I want to do the rest of our time is, why does that matter? Is it just a theological lecture for a Sunday morning? Why does it matter? And in particular, how does it help us understand the love of God for his people? How does it help us understand the love of the Father? Three things, much more quickly. First of all, you see the Father's love in the Son he sent. You see the Father's love in the Son he sent. It is very easy to think of the Father as the one who's far off, high and above us. And the Son, Jesus, as the one who is near us and with us. And so we start splitting up the kind of attributes of God, the characteristics of God, as if the highness and the majesty, the holiness, the otherness is all about the Father. And the with us, the drawing near, the love, the condescension, the stooping, that's all the Son. So the father becomes like children, the headmaster at school. He's a bit scary, he's a bit distant, he's far off, staying away in his office. You don't really want to have too much to do with him. You much prefer the the friendly teacher who who, who comes down into your form room, sits next to you and helps you with your classes. (coughs) And so the father is the distant, scary headmaster and the son is the nice one who draws near. That is wrong though both ways. If the son is exactly the same as the father, has received everything the father is from the father, other than one's father and one's son, then there is nothing that is true of the father that is not true of the son, and vice versa. So Jesus, the son, is just as holy, just as high, just as mighty, just as majestic. And if this sermon was on the son then wouldn't there be so many glorious things to think about that that high, majestic, mighty, holy other one was born, came into this world through amniotic fluid and blood and was laid in a feeding trough in order to save you. But our focus is on the Father. The Father. What's he like? 
He is like Jesus. He is not the Son, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But because all that he is, he gives to the Son, there is no difference at all in their character, or in their power, or their glory. The Father, in other words, is just as with us, just as full of gentleness and kindness. Again, think of human fathers and sons. Henry, my son and I, we are similar and yet different in some ways. If you got to know him, you would in some ways know something about me. But you wouldn't really know me. There are some significant differences between us. I'm going to ask later why you laughed. Uh, (laughs) There are some significant differences. Not so with son and father. He is, to use the colloquial terms, a chip off the old block, the spitting image of his father. So when we see Jesus being merciful, we're being shown not just the mercy of God the Son, but the mercy of God the Father. When we see Jesus forgiving sins, we're seeing not just the Son forgiving, but the Father forgiving when we see jesus stoop and say to the little girl who died talitha koam little girl get up and he's full of gentleness and mercy even with his mighty power to raise the dead we are seeing the gentleness and mercy and care of the father when jesus says don't hinder the little children from coming to me we're hearing through him the voice of the father as well do not hinder the little ones coming from me when the thief on the cross in his last breath in his last few moments of life acknowledges that that he is a sinner and asks for mercy and receives that wonderful promise from jesus today you'll be with me in paradise because he's trusted christ and turned from his sin when we see the mercy of christ willing to show grace even while he's dying for the thief next to him we see the mercy and grace of the father There is no scary father hiding behind nice Jesus. Because all the father is, he is given to the son. If you want to see the father's love, read the gospels and see the character of Christ. And do not fear there is a different God hiding away. See the father's love in the son he sent. We see the father's love in the crucified son. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That giving was to the cradle at Christmas, but ultimately it was also to the cross at Easter. Christmas was always leading to Easter. He came not just to be among us, but to carry our sin to the cross. We see the love of the Father at the cross how much does he really love you? How much does he really love you given what you've done this week? Given how you feel about him? How much does he love you given the way you've responded to his grace? How much does he love you given the state of your prayer life and your personal Bible reading? Christian, he loves you enough to give his son to death on the cross for you. The love of God, John 3.16 tells us, 
is the cause of the cross, not the result of the cross. Now, those of you who've been around Christchurch for a while would have heard me say this lots of times. Um, and I think it's because it's something it took me years to understand. I think for a very long time, I understood that God could love me because Jesus had died for me. And although I wouldn't have phrased it quite like this, what was going on in my head was something like, God the Father is holy, he made me, I sinned against him, he is rightfully angry at me. God the Son came into the world, loved me and died for me, and because he was punished in my place, well now I'm forgiven, justified, put right with God. And so God the Father has to let me into heaven. That is got all sorts of elements of truth in it but it's got one massive flaw which is it presents the whole scheme of salvation as if it was nice jesus loving jesus rescuing me from basically angry father and yet they have the same character so you imagine it you're living in a house and you're renting it you don't own it and it's cold you can't afford the bills anymore uh, you're freezing there's no food for christmas and it turns out mum and dad can't pay the rent anymore to the landlord. You're going to get evicted. Uh, but then along comes uh, a friend from down the road who, just as the landlord is about to throw you out into the snow, pays the rent. And therefore the landlord takes the money and goes, leaves you alone. There's one story. Here's another story. You're cold, it's Christmas, you can't pay the bills, there's no food, no presents. Your parents haven't paid the rent. The landlord comes and you're getting ready to be evicted. You think you're going to be thrown out into the snow. But instead, the landlord comes through the door. He gives you the money for the rent, which you can then give back to him. Not only that, but he lays the table with Christmas dinner. He puts presents under the tree. He sits down and eats with you. Now, in both stories, your debt is paid. You're not evicted. But in the first story, it's this kind of legal thing that someone else does. In the second story, it's the one to whom you owe the debt who comes to rescue. It is that second story that is close to the gospel. God so loved that he gave. And he gave. He didn't charge. You're not asked to buy salvation, but just to beg for it, to receive it. He chose to do this. And he chose out of love. Never doubt that God loves you, Christian. Or rather, when you inevitably doubt the Father's love, look to the cross and see not just the Son willingly dying for you, but the Father willingly giving his Son for you. And finally... We see the Father's love, not just in the Son he sent, not just in the Son he gave to death, but in the sons he adopts. Flick on a few few books in the Bible to the book of Galatians. Just one verse. Galatians chapter 4. John, if you're going on through the Bible, through the Gospels, you've got Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Galatians, 2 Corinthians, sorry, and then Galatians. Any of the other kind of Ian's letter and you've gone too far. Galatians 4. And verse 4. Here's a great Christmas verse. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. When the time came, God sent his son to rescue us. We haven't got time to dive into all the language of redemption, but that is the rescue we've just been speaking about. To rescue us so that we could become sons. We are all sons of God once we put our trust in Christ. Now, if you're a woman here this morning, it's not denying your gender. The reason it's sons language here is because it's the sons who inherit everything. In, at least in biblical culture. Okay, so if you like, you can say sons and daughters. If you want to sort of put your gender in there. But, but the significant point is that it, you're, you are going to inherit everything. Christ is the true son and you are his. The father sent his only begotten son to become the son of Mary so that we could be adopted into that family. C.S. Lewis said this, the son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. The son of God became a man to enable men, us, to become sons of God. Jesus is the natural son of God, the eternally begotten son of God. God the father has always been a father. Again, remember, if there's no eternal begetting, then God only became a son when he either made Jesus or Jesus was born or something. But no, the Trinity assures us that God is, the Father has always been a father. And so you're adopted in, towards a God who is not begrudgingly letting you into his heaven, but welcoming you into his, far, into his family. Not just a king, not less than a king, not just a king, but a father. One who has always been father and a father full of love. He's not working, in other words, against the grain of who he is when he adopts you as a son or daughter. But in line with who he's eternally been, a father to a son. If you're new to Christianity, that is what is offered at Christmas. Remember the John 3.16 verse, to whoever believes in him. God will give eternal life. You don't do anything. You simply turn from ignoring him. You're living your own sinful way. And trust that Jesus has done everything needed for you to be adopted into the family. It is that simple. And again, hear that word, whoever believes. It doesn't matter what you've done, who you are, what language you speak, what other gods you've bowed down to. Whoever is welcome. The doors of the kingdom are thrown wide. To, to those of you who are cold in love to God... You won't ever warm your heart up to God by just trying a hard. Have you ever tried? When your heart is, is like an ice block to God, then the only fire that will warm it and melt it is the love of God for you, this free, gracious love of God for you, which again is seen in the Son, the crucified Son, and in your own adoption as a child. So often Christians walk, real Christians walk with really troubled hearts, thinking that the Father is not really for them. So few of us can, can, as it were, lift up our hearts to God, knowing that we'll be met in love by the Father. In fact, this is the thing that often crushes us more than anything. That we can't lift our hearts to God and enjoy his love, God the Father, because we fear in some way. Christmas says, 
come in the name of the Son, and you will be welcomed by the Father. The Father gave you, sorry, gave his Son at Christmas. The Father gave you a Son at Christmas, the Lord Jesus, so that the Son could give you a Father, and a Father full of love. The Father gave you a Son, so that that Son, Jesus Christ, could give you a Father, a Father full of love. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you that we don't do anything to earn our adoption as children, but you have done it all in giving your son. We pray that we would see in Jesus at the beauty and richness of your character. We pray that we'd never doubt that there is in any way a difference between you and him uh, in all that you are and all that you think and feel towards us. And we pray too this Christmas that you would, by the power of your spirit, allow us to warm our hearts in your love, to see the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness that is offered. Would we therefore cast our anxieties aside, cast our fears aside, and rejoice before you. Give us peace and joy this Christmas, our Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.